we're in business. Yeah. We're we are loose. sucking and fucking. We are feeling loose today. See, we, I, I usually try to get sort of an in medias res sort of start um, like certain podcasts that I like. But the problem is it's always artificial because you can tell when I'm going to press the the start recording yeah it's button. better it's better if you s- press the start recording button in the middle of us having a different conversation or doing dumb mic check shit yeah that feels more authentic also this yeah. isn't going to be the first part of the podcast i don't think uh, it might we'll see nice we'll see well, yeah we don't have to talk about an album at the beginning that could be it could be but anywhere. i mean that's structure yeah people but- like structure and familiarity they get not me they get weird when you deviate not me well i guess you're not people i like things unstructured i like to be erratic and emotionally unstable that's not true at all that's the least true thing i I think think you've ever said one of my new year's resolutions in uh 2020 was i was going to try to be more erratic and emotionally unstable (laughs) yeah how'd that work well i don't know you'd have to tell me do i I seem erratic to you in comparison, like, I mean, I'm the only person whose experiences I have to compare to anybody else, and I'm extremely unhinged, so no. I don't think you seemed more erratic and emotionally unstable in 2020. I also, the boundary of, like, 2019 to 2021, the year boundaries, very, very um, fluid to me. Yeah, I guess let's talk about the long 2019. Yeah. Like we talk about the long 19th century. <laughs> Anyways we have something to talk about but you haven't told me what it is oh yeah no we're talking about genre we're gonna put on our musicology hats um because uh i'm a i'm a pedant at heart and that's the only way i can talk about this but i i just want to start with a video clip that i saw on twitter a long time ago so uh it's been a while since we recorded a lot of stuff has happened in the interim. We're not going to talk about any of that stuff. We're going to talk about a tweet from like three weeks ago that nobody saw. Yeah. It's a good tweet, though. I, I watched the video. It's it's very neat. So here's a video clip. This is Dave Grohl talking to I wanted to, to be a drumline kid. Like, Somebody, I wanted I don't to know be who. a drumline kid. Why not? But I can't read music. I couldn't then. I still can't now. All I wanted to do was be in a line of drummers all playing drums. That was decent. I wasn't like your level. Like, I'm... Dude, stop saying I'm a good drummer because I'm the most basic fucking drummer. If you listen to Nevermind, the Nirvana record, I pulled so much stuff from the Gap Band and Cameo and Tony Thompson on every one of those songs. All that. That's wow. old. That's old disco. That's all it is. <laughs> Can I not hear that? <laughs> Nobody makes the connection. That's straight up Gap Band. I told Tony Thompson that came to my house for a barbecue with somebody, and I was like, man, I just want to thank you because, you know, I owe so much. I've been ripping you off my whole life. He goes, I know. Whoa. That big disco flam. <clears throat> like, it works every time. So this is uh, tweeted out by Osita Nuanevu, who is a... Uh, Oh, he's he's at the New Republic, a columnist. He said, I've watched this clip every time it's come up on the timeline, and it just seems like such a potent reminder of what is and has been lost in music coverage that overemphasizes lyrics or focuses on slotting artists into different genre slash cultural categories. Smells Like Teen Spirit is one of the most written about pieces of popular music in history. The fact that we can sit here being... Oh, that was the Gap Band? 30 years later is pretty embarrassing. What were we talking about all this time? I just think a lot is discussed and rediscussed over and over again to the exclusion of close listening to how music actually works. Think about the conversations we might have had, the new directions readers and listeners might have been pulled in. Anyway, we should have been post-genre ages ago, and it shouldn't have taken the impact of rapacious tech companies to get here. To be fair, people do talk about the loud, quiet, loud dynamics in the Pixies a lot, but I don't know. This just seems more interesting to me than a mosquito, my libido. What did he mean by this material? Yeah, so I mean, Smells Like Teen Spirit is a song that I am pretty, extremely familiar with. What what do you, what are your thoughts on genre as it relates to this clip of interview? Well, I mean, I, I think that's a cool observation about the drums. I've I've been trying to learn more about how 
drum grooves actually work recently and it's uh it's very cool to excuse me it's very cool to think about because it's 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 all about nuances of rhythm that are not the kinds of things you talk about in classical music very much so so it's uh, it, it adds a whole dimension to your your musical listening and um hearing the way that this exact same drum beat can be transposed from one genre context to another and the way that that sort of transforms how you hear it is is very cool to me i i just what was interesting to me is the the talk about criticizing music in terms of criticizing the lyrics or slotting it into cultural categories yeah, I mean, like, um, I know that your gripe with modern day musicology is often that people want to talk about music in contexts that are not really about the music. Um, like, when people talk about, like, music in history, they're not really doing, like, any analysis of the music itself aside from the lyrics. And I think that's kind of an artifact of how people listen to music now. That Yeah, that definitely is. So, so what I mean... Like I, I have this problem more with, uh, more with pop music criticism than musicology, because musicology is, uh, it, it's a, it's a large world that has lots of different kinds of people within it. But the people who are influenced more by contemporary pop music criticism as opposed to historical musicology, those people I have a problem with. So there's a book by. David Brackett, who was a prof at McGill, it's called Categorizing Sound, and his thesis, I, I haven't read the book, I've just skimmed through bits of it, um, it's mostly like musicology brain bullshit that I'm not that interested in, but his basic thesis is that he wants to explore the way that, that categorizing sound, categorizing pieces of music, specifically pop songs, um, is a way of categorizing people. Because mm -hmm. the pop song implies a certain type of guy who listens to it. Right. And that sort of goes along with this, something we see on Twitter a lot that's always very entertaining is the, the type of guy style criticism of, <laughs> of artistic works or of works of pop culture where it's like it's not even about what the thing is in itself to the extent you can consider that. It's always about the type of guy who would be into that thing. Yeah, like the type of guy who has Catcher in the Rye on his bookshelf. Exactly. So, like the the recurring Twitter uh, thread of what what books uh, are a red flag if you see them on someone's bookshelf. And then the answers are always either it's, the Turner Diaries or something. Yeah, every it's always it's always either something has read. Either something it's literally illegal to own, or one of a list of like five books that are like things that were uh, like the Catcher in the Rye is one of them. What's the what else? Uh, anything Ernest Hemingway? Yeah, it's always anything Ernest Hemingway. Well, because like they can't name a specific Ernest Hemingway stuff. book, they just don't like his vibe. Uh, and Infinite Jest is, is. Oh yeah. And also Ayn Rand. Uh, yeah, who, I mean, Ayn parenthetically, Rand... my Ayn Rand opinion that no one agrees with me on, but no one I know has actually read any Ayn Rand. I've read a little bit of Ayn Rand. I I think that Atlas Shrugged is not that bad a novel, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't I don't give enough of a shit to read it. Like No, I know. It's at this point talking about Ayn Rand is stupid because it's like that's that's like boring 50s shit. It has no real relevance today. Yeah. Um I I do think it's interesting um for for a couple reasons. So, when I was doing when I was in school for music history, um I took that class, the the history of pop music class that I've talked about and um, I was taught by a guy who's around the same age as our parents and was a firm believer in the disco sucks narrative. Um, and I wrote my final paper for my history, music history degree on the disco sucks movement and like how despite the vehement claims of the people who founded it, it was like super racist and super homophobic in nature, even if they didn't realize it, like that's what it was. So like he t we talked about a lot of disco. He didn't like it at all, but we did talk about things like the rhythm of disco and like the the characteristic elements of disco music um in the instrumentation and then we did also talk about smells like teen spirit and he didn't draw that connection. 
Um, and he liked Nirvana. I think. I think he was he was like a guy who kind of well, liked he's Nirvana. A, he's a rock guy. So the, he's a rock part guy. of the disco sax movement, obviously, there's a, there's a racial component to it, and there's a sexist or a, 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 a homophobic a homophobic component to it. Um, but part of it also is people who are into rock realizing that rock is not going to be the mainstream of popular music anymore. Well, and it's it's also it's also um, the the big part of it. The thought the thing that they were saying was the big part of it was that we are being replaced by these other people because yeah. the, the, whoever <laughs> the fucking main guy was, I can't remember his name. He's not that. He's some Chicago dick. So, yeah, so he had a long-standing rock show on Chicago radio and got replaced by a disco show. Like his his channel his um that that channel got bought out and converted into a pop music channel which at the time was all basically disco. So his thing was oh they're they're forcing us out of places we've always been and blah 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 blah. He found another job pretty quickly. Like he wasn't out of work for that no, long. No, he would just have been transferred to a different time slot. But yeah, no, yeah, I, I like, see how that you know it's it's we're being replaced that, it's that's the, yeah it's the yeah. we're being replaced narrative as opposed to what was actually happening which was music that gets played on the radio is dictated purely by how much money they think they can make and at the time there was nowhere else that disco was being played on the radio so it got folded into this capitalist system so that they could make more money well, off of it and and disco was for for the time period that it was popular it was super popular yeah and it was it was like a flash in the pan it wasn't popular in the mainstream to be just listened to on the radio for that long because it isn't music that you just listen to disco is a dance genre like disco is a social and dance genre of music and it came out from an underground and then got popular and then people hated it and started burning records and shit i think people people are definitely turning around on that now it's now conventional wisdom that disco was good and that not liking disco at the time was corny um, which it which it was the disco backlash was very corny at best and they well and like a big part of the backlash was also towards bands like kiss and uh rod stewart and stuff when they started doing cheap a lot of that stuff was really bad to be fair cheap bad disco imitations i was made for loving you was probably the worst kiss Song. I have to say this, uh, Queen did this as well. <laughs> it was yeah. very, very unpleasant. Yeah, it's, it was bad. Um, that's that's easily the the worst Queen music, including all the all the stuff they've done since Freddie Mercury died. Uh, the worst Queen album was Hot Space. Yeah, <laughs> uh, their disco album. So like, yeah, I mean, like, it's it's really it's very interesting that like that was a conscious influence that Dave Grohl took because it's combining these two things that on the surface of the time you would assume to be fairly at odds but actually makes a lot of sense like the the rhythmic composition of disco is very interesting and it's what gives smells like teen spirit that feel of like getting up and dancing and jumping around is well, like and that's all drums well and it would come out of uh like motown and r&b type of music and those drummers were unbelievably yeah. good like a lot of them are not well known outside of the circles of people who are really into drums but those drummers, I've seen some videos of them demonstrating the characteristic grooves of some of this music. And the, it's just, it's not flashy drumming, but it is just rock solid. Like, and, and it just gives such a space to the, to the, the, the song. Like it, it, it really, you, you see how this is a way of like creating an oral landscape is just by putting certain sounds precisely in certain places. And sometimes it has to be like precisely just behind the beat or something like Do that. Do you want to? Do you want to pull up a video? Uh, sure. I because oh, I've I've never watched name. I've never oh. watched any of this kind of thing. We'll we'll pull up the um, video. I'll I'll figure out the guy's name when we pull up the video. But uh, yeah, one sec. Well, and it's also interesting um, to consider, like, because when we talk about classical music and how different composers of the same time kind of relate to each other and fit in together and borrow things from each other. It's like, well, yeah, obviously that's the case. But when whenever we talk about that in a modern setting, it's almost always copyright cases. And it's not often stuff like this where it's like um, considering how people are inspired by the things they listen to. And like this is also stuff that you wouldn't know if you didn't listen to disco. So like when you have an entire generation of rock listeners who listen to Nirvana because that's the kind of music they like because their parents listened to older classic rock and this is kind of the natural extension of that, you're missing a huge piece of context for this music, it turns out, which is disco. 
Because, like, I don't know about your parents, but, like, my parents hated disco. They were fully on the, like, this is commercial music, this is blah, 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 like, this is just for money. Because they weren't a part of the communities that this music mattered to. I think think my parents thought disco was goofy. I think my mom would go to disco clubs every so often, but my dad was not a fan. Um, But, yeah, I mean, if you're into drums, that's music you have to listen to because of how important the drums are to it. So this, this video is James Gadsden, who... Uh, was one of those Motown drummers who was almost completely anonymous, very rarely credited on records, but played on hundreds and hundreds of recordings of songs that you would know. So this is like a Detroit Motown style groove? Yeah, so let, let's just let the video load and buffer a little bit. So, But this this guy is... that. This is always the way of these things, is these session musicians on this thing, on this video, you've never heard them... Or you've never heard of them before. But you you've have heard probably them. heard them. And they're probably better than most of the musicians you have heard what of just was, on a technical level. What was that? Years ago on Netflix, there was a documentary, The Wrecking Crew. Oh, The Crew. Wrecking Crew, yeah. Go watch that. That's that a really good documentary. Rules. It's so cool. So this is James Gadson. listen to how this the spatial feeling of this music is so completely different and it's just slight differences in where he's placing the the drum hits yeah i don't know how easy it is to hear the bass uh the bass drum or like the kick um but it's totally like it's crucial and i'm i'm not a sophisticated enough drum guy to really know what exactly is the difference but it's 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 a remarkable difference and it's clearly very small things that he has very precise control over that's that's what it's all about is the very precise control so this is in styles of different groups right yeah or or different like genres of or different like prototypes of motown music that it's like there's one song that would be maybe that prototype and other songs would imitate it kind of thing He's going to talk about them in a second. That's what they call the Motown sound. I've had the pleasure of playing on many, many sessions with many of the famous Motown artists. And uh, there's there's three patterns that you've heard today that we'll use. The first one is like that fours on the floor, like I had reminded you before of the four when we played. But we had the four on the floor. Sugar pie, honey bunch. You know, we had that little New Orleans, but you had the Detroit. See, like, see how that totally changes it? He adds that one hit and it completely changes the song. And the Supremes. Early Stevie Wonder. You know, so you heard that at Motown. And then also coming up from New Orleans into Detroit, we had that bounce with the early Supremes. You know, they did it, where did I love go type thing, baby, baby, baby. You know, we had that bounce. So that, you know, it came from New Orleans and eventually got to Detroit there. And then we had a... Those different fields with signature fields with the Motown. Oh, you know, they, they had a group called with the Temptation style. Temptation style. They had a kind of a walk. They called it Temptation's Walk, so mm-hmm. you can hear. They 
kind of had a walk, kind of strutted when they dance, you know. So that and like and you can com- I can, yeah, I can picture exactly the walk he's talking about. Like I know exactly that that movement. That one there. That's so, so there cool. Are three styles there so far that we've done for Motown. Like, I just want to sit and watch this guy demonstrate different drum grooves all day. Yeah, it's, he's so cool. That, like, that that's that's so cool. And that's l- talking about very precise musical details. And that, to me, that's the interesting thing about talking about music is talking about, like, what it's made of and how it works. Mm-hmm. And not what type of guy does it make you if you listen to this. So, I mean, going back to the Twitter thing, like, people, people will always say... Uh, uh, infinite jest is the biggest red flag if you see it on a bookshelf by the way the bookshelf right behind me the only book on it is a copy of infinite jest well uh, like and the, but, the thing but, about well, having I'm, I, oh, just to, just to finish that thought um people will people will say that but it's like they don't have anything to say about the book as a book and the, the thing is i i read that book uh i liked it a lot uh and, and there's a lot of very interesting literary techniques going on in there. I think David Foster Wallace has some very interesting things to say about very important issues. Um, and I think that also, conversely, there are serious criticisms you could make about him as a writer, as a person, as a thinker, um, that would also be interesting to talk about. But if you're not willing to actually read the book and then engage with it as a book, you can't do that. Well, here's here's the thing is that like having infinite like with books is specifically with books. We have fallen out of a common usage of libraries. So that means that if the book is on your shelf, you that means you either have read it or you intend to read it. But it doesn't really like you don't throw out books that you think are bad. You just don't read them again. But like, they're probably going to stay on your shelf because like, why would I throw out a $30 book I spent a bunch of money on? All that means is that they've read the book. And like, there's this kind of bent of, I I don't know, like exactly what to call it, but like, I guess, intellectual purity where you only people, it's like, it's, I think it's an anti-intellectual thing. Um, you, you only read Where the you stuff only read that you're allowed stuff, to read. Yeah, you only read the things you agree with, which gives you this weird echo chamber of what you think people who disagree with you think. It's like only ever... if It's like if you were going to go write a, a paper about a specific way of, of thinking about some issue and you only read people you agree with. Like, that's lazy academia. It's incorrect. Like, you have to know what you're pushing back against. And, like... It's it's just like a real a really weird anti-intellectual bent where no one ever reads anything that they don't like or no one listens to music they don't like. And if there's something you don't like, that can be a catalyst. Like characterizing in detail what it is you don't like about something takes skill and it can be interesting. It would be I would be interested to know what some of these people don't like about Infinite Jest, but I, the thing is I don't think a lot of them have read it and in fact usually they declare as such. So anyway, that's it's well, and it's it's like this thing that I found with watching movies because I I before the pandemic I didn't really watch a lot of movies because it's hard it was hard for me at that time to be like, yeah, I'm gonna dedicate two hours of my at the time very busy life to watch one thing, and now we've watched a lot of movies and it's easier for me to articulate what I don't like because I've watched movies that I don't like. So it it kind of it kind of like has mostly at my behest. Yeah, it like it kind of has filled out my perspective of the way I think of myself as a viewer of movies because I have a lot of really weird surprising opinions which is that first of all I loved Cats 2019 because I found out that something that I enjoy in movies is being is is when they're like very earnest and very bad but in like kind of a fun way. Because I hadn't, and like, I also think that like the enjoyment of movies depends on what kind of expectations you go into it with. So like, if I can before every movie be like, I have no expectations, I just want to see what they have to show me, then there's a huge chance I'm going to actually like the movie instead of going in with Cats 2019 is bad because it's badly sung, badly, um, the VFX are bad. But if you go in saying well, let's see what this has to offer. You find out, oh yeah, the choreography in this movie is fucking fantastic. A lot of the bad things are bad in a funny way if you're not looking for a good Cats adaptation. You hated it. 
Yeah, I, I didn't like it, but, but I was looking for a good... I just wanted to hear good singing. And the thing is that there's not really very there's much no good, good singing, singing in the movie. The only good number, the only number you could say was good in that movie is Skimbleshanks. And even then, and they that, don't focus on his feet ever, even and, though he's a professional right, tapper. Right, and that, like, the reason that that one is good is because it's not a Hollywood person. It's a it's a stage person. Yeah, it's like the, he's like the principal dancer of some European he, he's company. Prin- yeah, he's he's, he's incredible. Like, yeah, the, I think it's the Australian... Or a, a, a ballet, yeah. a Sydney ballet, or something like that. Yeah, and it's it, it is incredible dancing, but it's it's like, and and the singing is pretty good too. And, but it's like that's because that's someone who really knows what they're doing, and you respect like you have to respect the craft. Like, yeah, and even the the shitty character they added, Victoria, her dance. I mean, she's a she's a prima ballerina. Like she's an incredible dancer. She's beautiful and graceful, and her dancing was like a huge highlight of the movie. Because I went in looking for looking for things to like and i think that's a huge thing about like the way people consume media is that like if you're not if you're looking for things to hate you'll find them and if you're looking for things to like you'll find them it just depends on what you're looking for and the worst the worst thing is to go to go in with that strong prejudgment based on either a political motive or like a, a social interpersonal like i don't like this type of person motive yeah um i think because that that really that really can skew your judgment and can lead you to miss things that are that you would like and can lead you to not be able to really precisely explain what it is you don't like. I think you really do have to spend some time dwelling with things you don't like to be able to even understand what it is you don't like about them. Yeah, like Tool. Um, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But uh, uh, what did I want to talk about? Uh, so one example that came up for me this episode is going to turn out by the way to be the uh the gen x episode because <laughs> we've been talking about uh we've been we've been talking about nirvana. Uh, nirvana we've been talking about david foster wallace um and we're about to talk about alanis morissette God, and I weezer love alanis morissette so uh, again in my rock and roll odyssey because these are just in whatever order i happen to get them and to catalog them and then put them on my playlist i got weird juxtapositions one of which was alanis morissette and weezer i listened to, <laughs> to, to two weezer albums and then alanis morissette like back to back um recently and i i was really struck by uh, there's some interesting stuff on the weezer albums i didn't like them as much as i thought i would these albums are the the blue album and pinkerton which are considered usually the good weezer albums which one is beverly hills on that's one of the later ones. Oh, that's not even. That's not on these albums. No, it's not. Nice. It's the, these are these are like the the ones that made them sort of '90s indie rock darlings. I went in thinking that I would like the albums based on what people had said about them, and I kind of didn't. I found I found the the weird uh, sexual stuff to be really gross, and the the music to be not actually that sophisticated or interesting there's some there's some interesting sounds and some interesting harmonic turns but not nothing really sp- special to mm-hmm. me um and the lyrics mostly just obnoxious and then i listened to alanis morissette jagged little pill which is an album i had never i had heard i think i'd heard ironic before but i hadn't really listened listened to a lot of her music and it is so i didn't know really what to think but i figured it would probably just bore me um, but it was really good mm-hmm. and and the music there's some really intricate stuff in this music um so i I wanted to play these things because if you went in with you know uh if if I went in just looking at the kind of person who is the kind of person that likes Alanis Morissette or who likes Weezer um and that was all I was looking for, I think there's a lot of this stuff I would miss so I want to well, play i I think an interesting thing about Alanis Morissette too ties into the the Nirvana thing a little bit just because people. Um, the, the main criticism I hear about ironic is the lyrics and the main criticism I hear about you ought to know is the sound of her voice, which I really like Alanis Morissette's voice. I think she's a great singer. I've, I've never listened to a full album of hers, but like I, I listen to her through radio play and stuff like that. Like I, I really like Alanis Morissette, but if you actually listen to the music, it's good music. Yeah, I I think that as compositions, these songs are way more interesting than the Weezer songs. So I I'm, I'm, I have some examples queued up. Uh, I want to play "You Ought to Know," and we'll just listen to about a minute of it to let it kind of build, and just just kind of listen listen to all the parts, listen to how the guitars are layered, 
And yeah, the voice is it's definitely a distinctive kind of vocal technique, but I mean, no more so than like the way fucking the Nickelback guy sings or anything like that, you know? I want you to know that I'm happy for you. I wish nothing but the best for you both. I know the version of me Is she perverted like me? Would she go down on you in a theater? Does she speak eloquently? And would she have your baby? I'm sure she'd make a really excellent mother Cause the love that she gave every day Wasn't able to make it enough for you to be open wide No And every time you speak her build there that that is it's such a precisely masterful. controlled build and it's so that like that's unbelievable the bass groove is on the whole album the ba- the the way the bass grooves is so good who plays the bass on this album i don't know some fucking anonymous person probably yeah. and the layering of guitars actually there's there's a kind of similar guitar sounds to the weezer album and similar techniques in the production well because it's a of lot it. of i don't i don't know very much about guitar pedals but when i was in a band it's it's that kind of like choppy um like extension of like of hitting a chord and then having it like reverb multiple times and like yeah, this there's kind like of choppy like it's so good uh, throughout the album there's often like three or four different layers of guitars in different parts of the mix doing different things and mm-hmm. it, and the way these things interact to, cr- to create a full musical texture is fascinating and if you were just talking about oh this is Alanis Morissette being a crazy bitch breaking up with her boyfriend or like uh, oh i i hate how she says vowels i like, hate women <laughs> uh, but yeah also the voice i mean alanis morissette is a very good singer like on it she is a skilled vocalist so if if she's singing like this i think she's doing it for a reason it's not just because she doesn't know what she's talking about well i mean this came out in what 95 so like if you look at the way her vowels sound and you look at the way kurt cobain's vowels sound it's there's not that much difference like it's very open and it's very kind of flat and wide and and so so much early alanis morissette criticism was literally just rank misogyny with no musical content Mm -hmm. to it uh so before we uh, i want to play a weezer song yeah let's listen Um, to some weezer i don't have any particular like the only weezer songs i've heard were beverly hills because it was everywhere at a certain point in time and also um that one that was on uh rock band the the one oh what the, i can't remember what the fuck it's called but everyone knows what i'm talking about so i've only really heard two weezer songs that are very different sounding so i don't know hold on we have to scroll past wagner weber webern <laughs> weezer uh, so we're gonna play this one which is has some similar guitar stuff to the to the linus morissette i would say what's with this that is so loud. But I would say, in terms of musical content, definitely harmonically, there's much less going on. Well, because it's just like it's one driving guitar, and then the bass is just kind of following the guitar. So I don't want to knock that. That's a, that's this a song, pretty good pop song. That is a pretty well composed and produced pop song. Well, this I would is like say. this is like a classic pop punk song. Like 
but but I think I think the Alanis Morissette song is is there's much more going on in it. There's much more that I hook onto and that appeals to me. In it well, because there's there's not this. really there's no build to this song. Like it's just the guitar does the same thing for basically the entire song, and then they have like the synths that kind of add differences in the the verse and the chorus, and then in the after chorus little part the that like mirrors the vocal part. Um, it's just it's just not as interesting. Like even when you get a, an Alanis Morissette song, like like one hand in my pocket or whatever, there's still more going on there. Even lyrically, I would say, it, I would I would say it's even lyrically not as interesting. Now well, I want to play another. Because Buddy Holly is just like a, a, it's just a pop. It's one big pop culture reference, really. I I want to play another Alanis Morissette song. It's just a little bit of a different kind of song. It's I maybe less well known. I had no choice but to hear you you stated your case time and again i thought about i like to play about a minute of the song because that's usually how much it takes for you to get all the different bits me like i'm a princess i'm not used to lying the way the chorus comes in rhythmically like one strain too early it's it's it, like there's there's so much to that and and i forgot about this you song really, you, i love you have this to song. listen you have to listen to it as a piece of music to get that now i want to compare that with what i would say is probably the most obnoxious weezer song i've heard one sec it's also good to compare these two those two albums in particular because the the weezer song you pulled the buddy holly from is from a year before the Alanis Morissette album. The, so like they're from the same era. These are yeah. two kinds of music that We've were got very 94, popular 95 at the same and 96 time. represented. So this uh, this album is considered by lots of people to be the good serious Weezer album. It's called Pinkerton, which if you remember back to uh music history, Madame Butterfly. Yeah. Uh God, so that opera sucks. so keeping that keeping that context in mind, let's listen to this song. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know. This is one of their, this is a very popular song of theirs. Uh, like fans of the band actually really like this song. I, I find it very hard to listen to personally. It's, well, I mean, it's like, it's boring and it's racist. It, yeah, basically. Like, it's two very bad things. Yeah, yeah. I can't help but notice that the last song in this album is called Butterfly. Does that have anything to do with like? No, it, it is, it is a deliberate. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so the the title Pinkerton and it's it's all it all has to do with Madame Butterfly. So it it all has to do with like his weird, Fixation. perverted sexual hangups. Which I don't want to say that's off limits for a for a artistic exploration, but I I do think that it's usually kind of boring and banal for someone like Rivers Cuomo to talk about what gets him off. Like that's I don't really want to hear if, about that because I can imagine what it is and I don't well, like, want it. Like it's just boring. If I'm gonna hear about your sexual idiosyncrasies, they'd better be like interesting and fun. 
Like, I don't want to hear about how you're into, like, specifically a race of people because that's gross. Yeah, that and, just like, makes that, me feel weird. That, that's that's gross. I want to, if I'm going to hear about your sexual fantasies, I want to hear about how you want to get, like, tied up and stepped on or something like but, that. But, like, <laughs> so that chorus, that the chorus to that song is, like, lyrically, harmonically, textually, there's nothing going on there. It's just the same shit. And there, it's, it's... Like, there's nothing I can hook onto when I listen to this as a piece of music rather than as a representative of someone, something someone might use to categorize themselves. Well, it's it's weird because it's like, usually in good pop music, there's like a, there's a, a verse and then there's a chorus and maybe there's like a bridge or a pre-chorus or whatever. But like, usually there's something musically distinct excuse me musically distinct other than just adding another layer right like there's usually a change in rhythm change in like a significant change in instrumentation or there's like a layering that kind of breaks when you get to the chorus um but this doesn't really have that and neither did the first weezer song like they were it was just very kind of flat yeah i mean this is a common vice of pop music criticism in part i would say because the music is also often conceived with that in mind like central to the uh the thought process of anyone who's writing pop songs the pop being understood in the broad sense the broadest sense possible is who's what sort of person is going to listen to this and this is very closely tied up with music sales and marketing categories yeah. whether people even people who want who want like a non-commercial thing or who want to be you know i i I only speak for i am only trying to speak to my dedicated fans who are going to buy the album and listen to the whole thing and stuff like that that's still it's the same that's still the same thought process um it's about it's about writing for an audience yeah so i mean i i don't want to say that this is totally illicit in in music criticism i do think that it's vastly overrepresented in pop music criticism and it leads us to really not think about the music as music uh, so I, I think a good music critic thinks of this as a vice and tries to fight against it even when they're doing it. Because if you're not thinking of it as a vice, you're really not a music critic. You're a fashion critic. Or like, I mean, like lyric criticism is really closer to like um, literature criticism, like literary criticism, like trying to find the meaning of a song based on the words. Right. But is... I mean, imagine the difference between examining I don't know, a poem by Milton versus like lyrics by Rivers Cuomo. It's like, that's, that's embarrassing. It's an embarrassing (laughs) comparison to make. Yeah. Like the the rock music or or pop music, the lyrics usually are not good. Like I I would say by default, there are very few people. Except for Carly Rae Jepsen. There are very few people in this sort of musical (laughs) space whose lyrics are actually good. So it's like, that's not a good thing to focus on. Well, and like, it's a, it's a dumb thing to argue because it's like, the lyrics being good doesn't really make the music good and no, that's I like know. and I that's, mean, that's what not people what I'm and, no 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 uh, what i'm saying is that people often get hung up on trying to justify like trying to say that certain lyrics are really good as if that makes the music more legitimate than saying the music is good and the lyrics are an accessory or just accepting that like yeah pop music lyrics are bad but they still slap yeah i so uh, something that occurred to me is this this is one of the things kind of that appeals to me about queen um, because they're, I don't want to say they transcend genre, but they do frustrate attempts to categorize them. There And there's not really a type of guy who listens to Queen as a band, um, in part because they have so many different types of music represented in their catalog that it's like it would hard, it would be hard for like one type of guy to really identify with them. Uh, so I'm just going to pull them up and see if I can find a good example. Well, and because Queen is like one of those bands that everyone can get behind listening to because like they just they do everything they do so well, except for disco. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the disco stuff is really bad. But I'm like, gonna... I, I don't know somebody who could listen to A Day at the Races and not find a, a song that they, they really like because yeah. there's something for everyone there. Um, but it it also like it it mixes within the songs and basically what it does is it forces you to listen to the music as music and to listen to the musical details and see what and also I mean also partly because the lyrics usually are just nonsense. Well, yeah, because like Bohemian Rhapsody is like on every list of best songs ever written. It doesn't fucking mean a goddamn thing, no, exactly. but everyone can sing all of the guitar licks from it, which is crazy. Like sing a some like try to sing a fucking i don't know i can't even think i can't even think of a good example but like 
you when you listen to queen and when you like queen it's you listen to the music and like you can sing the the riffs and stuff right like it's not just about the words right and there's there's so much like the there's there's so much musically to listen to in terms of like the uh the guitar sounds the groove of the of the drums and especially the bass because mm-hmm. um, i really think that the bass was the key but yeah i mean at, at this point now you can buy a I just saw recently a Brian May Red Special signature <laughs> guitar for sale used. So the sounds aren't so novel anymore. But at the time, I mean, there's there's no there's no 70s rock guitarist who sound sounds anything like Brian May. And and like the way that he layers those guitars to create these textures and the and the sort of counterpoint of the guitars against each other. There's there's a lot of fascinating stuff going on there. That's like, again, if you if you're if your main focus is like what kind of person what does it say about me that i listen to this music i think you you end up missing a lot of what makes it interesting so i don't know if i don't know if if i can find a a good single song to to play us off but what do you think let me see yeah this is that's a good one actually so here's not even a particularly well-known queen song I, and I think this is something that sort of resonates a lot with like queer theory and stuff like that is that frustrating of categorization yeah absolutely like this is and, gay music and that's something of that's some something uh, that David Brackett talks about in his book for sure uh, Because this is this is ostensibly the the um, the subject of the song is Freddie Mercury. He's the good old fashioned lover boy, and the gender or the character of the other person is never mentioned. So you just get to fill it in. But this is a dandy song. This is very like it's very posh and it feels very like a twenties fucking dandy. Yeah. Going around being fancy and courting somebody. If I remember, there's a guitar solo in this song. Is yeah. Is it near the end? Uh, I think so. The guitar. I, I, like the guitar is is something else, really. This is like um, because this is like this is like this guy presenting himself as a lover and his backup chorus of other homosexuals being like, "Hey, he's real cool, you know." Yeah. And like the, the guitar song is just so clear and like so centered. Here, here it comes. The other amazing thing about this song and about a lot of Queen songs is that it's really short. There's so much in such a short time. So that was that was the musicology hour. Uh, do you do you want to tell this story? Yeah, this or? is just like a, a, a funny little story. Um, just to talk about the trans experience for a second, because we're talking about queerness and queen. Um, so I used to be a dancer. I danced from when I was five, and then there was a break, um, and then I danced till I was like seventeen, eighteen. And I had a really close friend that I danced with, and he was the second person I ever knew to come out as trans. Um, but the year he came out before he came out, um, he did a tap number to this song because it was like, and I don't know, the, I think this song is a perfect expression of a certain type of uh, trans guy who's like a fancy lad. 
lots of trans masks are just little fancy lads and we love it um but like it's it's just it's just funny i don't know this is just a cute story about like this this friend who before coming out as trans did this tap number it was very like cute and posh and like very fancy to good old-fashioned lover boy yeah okay uh well i think we'll call it for that i i just thought this was a, this was a good like substantial musicological discussion that we could get into yeah no it's it was really interesting i, I very much enjoyed that but i think we gotta go yeah i have a friend coming over to get drunk so we'll so, continue recording after um i am good and sloshed rock on party on wayne my binder off in a second okay let me just take on my headphones okay so we were going to talk about tool <laughs> but the thing is both of us have full-time jobs and rich uh social lives rich inner lives um, and rich inner lives so uh the thing about tool prob- is that they suck no i mean probably the most central fact about tool is that their albums are very long uh it takes a long time to listen to them and i couldn't spare that amount of time in this week so, so is none this, of us have listened to an entire tool album is this going chronologically after the discussion we previously had we'll, about the we'll, kind of guy who listens to we'll, a sort of thing we'll figure we'll figure it out but i think people i think our listeners are sophisticated enough that they can put two and two together well like the thing is is that we just talked about like how it's stupid to have like a kind of guy who listens to a sort of type of music but like there's a kind of guy who listens to tool i know him his first name is talmage and like (laughs) it's just the worst kind of guy i think lots of people listen to this music for lots of different reasons (laughs) i don't know so i I don't don't know know. i mean we had very we another thing we yeah another thing that i i do in terms of music uh discovery is i often come into something new with a fairly strong idea of how I'm going to react to it. And, and I admittedly, op- like openly admitted earlier that I'm trying not to do that, but like you can't do that with Tool. Well, I, I, uh, so I, I come in with a strong idea of how I'm going to react to it. And then sometimes I get surprised. Sometimes I don't, <laughs> uh, I, I, I came in with an idea that I was going to like this probably a lot more than I did. Oh, excuse me. Um, so we just listened to one Tool song. It was probably off their off their album, Anima. Anima. Anima? Uh, probably their uh, the 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 song that would jump out the most at anyone looking at the track listing. Hooker with a penis. Yeah. Okay. So like, I mean, I'm going into the song based on title alone. Um, like my first assumption was, oh, this is going to be a Lola, or this is going to be a dude looks like a lady. But actually. It kind of seems like, (laughs) and I was like, oh, I'm ready to have a unique perspective about this song as a trans person. But actually, it turns out the the hooker with a penis is just this guy who's a, I I guess so, yeah, Maynard James Keenan. So it's about selling out, and it sucks. Maynard James Keenan is the singer of Tool, and I don't know too much about him or the band, but I do know that he owns a vineyard. And he is very, very right wing. And he said, and this is probably not true, but he said that somebody asked him if his wine is vegan. And he said, not anymore. And he went and got some bacon and he dipped it into the wine cask. Wow, that's really cool. That's a thing that only a cool, masculine, hard-dicked guy does. No, there are people who say... That's something that only a guy with a 10-inch cock does, is dip bacon into their shitty wine. There there is an emerging consensus that new metal was actually good. Um, That's that's just because we know... Like, that's just because I know Brett and Brian. (laughs) And there, there there are lots of people who like new metal. And, and Tool is uh, among those bands, one of the ones that's more highly regarded. But I don't know. I didn't have much use for this song. The other thing I know about Tool is that they're reputed for using uh, intricate Rhythm. rhythms and meters. And I didn't really get much of that from this song. No, I mean, like, there's shifting meter and there's some stuff that's yeah, but different. I mean, that's, but, like, that's, overall, that's not, that's not, not much compel- these days. It's not, like, used in a compelling way. Hold on, I'm going to figure out what there's, the most popular tool song there's nothing, is. There's nothing more complicated than what you would hear in a Rush song. And this is like 20 years later. Yeah, so. and Rush is like distinctly better. Like, I mean, not that these guys aren't like good at their instruments. Oh, no, I, but I like... mean, it's obviously it's obviously well done. I, I just, I don't know. I, I, 
I have to say that I don't have a whole lot of use for that song. I haven't listened to the rest of the album though, so maybe it's different. I know that there's a Tool song that I know. Like I know that there's a Tool song I've heard on the radio, but I don't know what the fuck it is. Um, Stink Fist was one of the other like widely acclaimed best songs on this album. Oh, I really dislike the word and, stink. Uh, and forty six and two was the other one. Yeah, stink oh, is the so worst. Long. They're, they're so word. long. Why are the songs? Yeah, so no, long? we listened. I listened to the first song. We were like eating Popeyes in the dining room, and I listened to the song, and it felt like it was ten are, fucking are minutes we, long. Yeah, and it I don't. Sucked. I don't, don't, don't want to listen to it again. To more of this because we we do have other stuff to talk about, and we already have nearly an hour of content to to so lump like, onto this. So we don't need to talk about this for too long, but. Uh, if we're talking about red flags and people and the type of things that they consume, I do think that a legitimate one is having like actual respect for Tool as like musicians and thinkers. Well, I, I, like, I think they're they're clearly good at their instruments. Yeah, but I mean, like the music still isn't good though. Like it's, you know, I'm I not know. deep. In, I'm I'm honestly, I feel like I'm not deep enough into metal or into like heavier music to really be able to say. But maybe you are, but uh, I mean, like the only people I've ever, the only like real metal experiences I have, are listening to obscure metal albums with people who really, really like metal, and I've liked everything they've played for me, but I can't remember the but, names, but and that's, I can't yeah, get into it. Yeah, that's probably more like like uh, black metal or something like. Yeah, that. it's like this one is... of those ridiculous sub, like hyper specific sub genres. That's like, oh yeah, these Vanta people are black metal. these people are like. <laughs> These people are competent at their instruments. They clearly know what they're doing musically, at least. Like, I remember in first year when I met a particular violinist who was um, quite sheltered. Um, oh. I introduced him to <laughs> I the. I know who you mean. Yeah. Um, the one we the one were who, talking about. The one whose sister has to cover her hair in church. <laughs> yeah, and can't go to church on her period. <laughs> um, no, but like. He was scandalized by the idea that people were like, yeah, metal is like as complicated as classical music. He was like completely blown away by that, but also just loved Kesha. That's so like, funny. you know, I, Kesha, I say, and like, I will say respect Kesha. Kesha is an incredible musician. Me metal listeners but, are often some of the more open minded music fans because they they they're so omnivorous in in their in their metal taste and anything. then they'll listen to anything else, too. And. So there, there often is some. Uh, uh, they're they're willing to listen to so many different things that they well, really often do have a very good taste in music, even yeah. if it's this and, specific thing that's not to most people's tastes. I would say. And the thing about metal listeners is that they are actually paying attention to the music that's happening. Like metal is not well, super you can't hear, about you the can't world. Hear the lyrics. Yes, the metal is not super about the words, so it is about prowess on instruments. So, like, they'll they recognize that. Like, metal listeners and like people who are really into metal are like the coolest people because their music taste is just everything. Anyway, so so uh, this is all to say, probably the only band even vaguely in a similar lane that I am at all familiar with is uh, Limp Biscuit, which is much worse <laughs> than this. So that's that's my yeah, basis listen, for comparison. Let's listen basically. to some Limp Biscuit. I don't have any on my what, computer, just, and I don't get some, I pull on, some YouTube? Up on YouTube. Yeah, let's listen to okay. some Limp Biscuit. We'll listen. So we've just had my friend Nora Vision, who's a phenomenal robot drag queen. We've also over, had a couple and of beers. I've had a lot to drink, so we're on good hours right now. But um, yeah, let's listen to, let's tear it up with some Limp Biscuit. I've got probably a Limp Biscuit song that is going to make you plots. I'm sure I've heard it. Like, I know who I, Limp Bizkit is. I think maybe you haven't heard this one. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. What makes this song stink all summer long? It's probably just that it's Kid Rock. Um, the words stink and stinky are yeah, awful. I, I, hate, I it. hate it. I hate stink. it. The motherfucking you know, it's McElroys. Germanic. It's Germanic. The, the Germans, that's just a word in the stink. Stinking. Yeah, it's just the ink. Is like such yeah, a gross it's such a, thing. It's worse if you make it a sh sound, though. Shht. So, do you know this? The the cover of George know. Michael's Faith. I don't. Let's just play it. You know, you know the original. Yeah, song, Yeah, I know. Obviously. I know the original song. Yeah. That's you can't go she to any like faith. Walmart without hearing that. But yeah, uh, I think I think the original song is a very good song. I like it a yeah, lot. Yeah, it rules. George Michael's a very good musician. Oh, just let it buffer for a minute. You're you're gonna. 
I mean, obviously, you know what what uh, plot. what Limp Biscuit sounds like, but yeah, I don't I know if it. you're prepared for what this song is going to sound like. Listen, I've listened to enough Billy Talent. I'm also drinking a Mike's Hard Black Cherry Lemonade as we record this to just keep the talkative part of my brain going. Keep and I also just flowing. smoked weed because it comes from the ground. And there's the video too. Oh, I guess it would be nice. Oh, if I could touch your body, I know not everybody has got a body like me. This is racist. But I gotta think twice. Racist against Greeks? Yeah. He's, do you notice though? He said, "Not everybody has got a body like me," which doesn't rhyme with two. You does, and the absolute bitching bassline in the original song is being replaced with just nothing. Well, yeah, it's pop punk. It's not pop punk. <laughs> it's this is this is Limp, like Limp new metal slash like, rap rock. Yeah, I mean like yeah, but like they get limp lumped sorry with pop punk all the time is he holding a lightsaber yeah oh wow this video is fucking ridiculous oh there's a b-boyer doing the most play more than about a minute basic yeah but that's that's, stupid that's fucking fucking homophobic that's what i meant earlier when i said racist was actually homophobic but like that's extremely homophobic everyone from greece who's like 30 years old or older uh is either a communist or a fascist and uh uh george michael apparently is a communist nice well was he's dead now well it was yeah yeah r.i.p to a real one um that sucks that sucks so bad that sucks in a different way than tool sucks tool is like dumb no smart dumb guy shit yeah, I would say I would agree with that. And There's two. <laughs> this ca- is just have dumb, we talked dumb guy about? Shit. Have we talked about the two but categories? That's actually that's before? a good category. Well, no, it's four categories. So there's there's dumb dumb guy shit. There's smart dumb guy shit. There's dumb smart guy shit. And there's smart smart guy shit. What's so, so like? Le- I, I I have a good spiel define. here. So so smart smart guy shit is stuff that is actually like intelligent and takes serious effort to engage with and is worth spending time on and that would be i don't know like classic texts of philosophy or uh i don't know really detailed specialist uh historical writing or things like that dumb smart guy shit is things like npr the new york times the Um, new yorker the theory of everything uh, uh, the Stephen Hawking oh, movie. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The the um, Alan Turing Gladwell. movie. Yeah, the Alan Turing. Oh, that was so bad. Yeah, uh, like Malcolm stuff Gladwell. Like that. Just that kind of stuff. Stuff that makes you feel like you're thinking, but it's all this just prepackaged stuff that comes from someone who's trying to trying to like lead you to a foregone conclu- conclusion, and that doesn't give you like if you were to try to retrace Malcolm Gladwell's steps, you would find a lot of very sloppy scholarship, and you really yeah. wouldn't be able to sort of reconstruct the argument. Because Malcolm Gladwell doesn't, he doesn't know that much. He's not a very smart person. He's just, he's branded as smart. That's mm-hmm. the thing. He's more about the branding than the actual thing. And then we have, can we go to dumb, dumb guy shit first? Yeah, so dumb, dumb guy shit is just stuff that is stupid and is meant for people who are stupid. Excuse me. Uh, I think Limp Biscuit falls pretty squarely in the middle of that category. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, Limp, Limp Biscuit falls in that category um, to an extent The Offspring, I think, who oh, is yeah, a band. The, I oh, love the, the Offspring. The Offspring are so funny. I'm a huge fan of The Offspring. I love them. That's some dumb, dumb guy shit. Or, like... I'm trying to think of like like dumb comedies that are like not malicious but they're just stupid. Yeah, I mean, there's. Uh, I feel I, like I want to say Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but there's a little bit of nah, an ironic d- distance Bill and, to that. Bill so. and Ted's is dumb. They're smart dumb guy shit. Yeah, I actually I think that's because right, like yeah. because this is my most beloved genre of media is smart dumb guy shit. Right. So stuff. So smart dumb guy shit is stuff that's meant for an audience of stupid people but that when you actually like peel back the layers you find that there's 
a lot there. There's, There's a huge amount so of it's, thought going into it. And so it's not, it. it's not necessarily something that was made with a lot of intention or by someone who's very skilled, but it's just like they hit upon something that is so right and so true that it's like there's so much. The the to... feeling of dumb smart guy shit is something that's very beloved to me because it's stuff like um, like when the, the second time, because the first time you get high, you don't feel anything, but the second time you get high... And you like listen to a Pink Floyd album and you're like, society, that's smart, dumb guy shit. And it's the most pure thing because they really think they're doing something. And like when I worked as a pizza delivery person, all of the guys I worked with were smart, dumb guys. And they are my favorite people people in the universe. The nicest, the most genuine cis straight guys. Another another thing that jumps to mind is Steven Seagal movies, I think, fall into that category. Somewhat. Uh, I mean, they're made by and for very very stupid people but like stuff stuff like like lucy is dumb is smart dumb guy shit where it's like you were clearly really high and had a string of thoughts that led you here but then it's also the worst movie ever made so it sucks yeah we watched the movie lucy last night yeah it fucking sucks whereas that loki show is is definitely dumb dumb, smart guy guy shit because it bad and that's the difference is because smart dumb guy shit is campy in like the traditional sense of the word camp yeah well and because it's sincere and the thing is there's a there is a class and social socioeconomic element to all this because basically dumb smart guy shit is for people who have like a professional education and have all the right credentials but are not smart whereas Smart dumb guy shit is about the stoner that you hang out with in the garage who has six dogs and he's on to something. Right. Like not maybe doesn't know a lot, but is observant and savvy. The kind and, of, the kind of uh, person who can like talk himself around enough that he ends up at communism because he just is a nice, lovable guy who cares about people. So so uh, this is this sort of uh, uh, sort of what do you call the thing? This axis, like a this, a this sort of coordinate plane yeah. kind of thing, is is um, it, I find it's a it's a very powerful way of just categorizing stuff. Um, obviously, there's more to it than that, as we'll talk about in the the other segment that you haven't heard yet. But I I, I often find it's it's helpful as sort of an initial step to categorize things as as uh, either dumb smart guy or smart dumb guy. Um, and most most stuff falls in either dumb smart guy or smart dumb guy. There's not a lot that falls into dumb dumb guy and smart smart guy. Well, I, and I mean that stuff is that stuff is pretty much obvious. Yeah, but like, I don't know. I just have such an affection for like smart dumb guy shit. Like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is like the best movie I've ever seen, and like Clerks fucking rules. I'm sure Harold and Kumar is not something that holds up, but is great to watch. I love Stoner so much. And I love like the Bob and Doug McKenzie movie. Best movie. Lethal Weapon movies. I've never seen Lethal Weapon. Uh, Well, they're good. Uh, I'm sure they are not. So... I think that's I think that's mostly enough about that. I don't we think we're gonna. We didn't we listen didn't. to Tool because we didn't want to listen to Tool, even though Tom picked it. Well, because I wanted it's... to listen to it. It's just that it's it's an hour and a quarter long. It's actually pushing the limits of a single CD, and it's like I don't have that kind of time. I've got stuff to do. I'm I a have grown a, up job. With a job. Yeah, I'm a professional university teacher. I write academic papers so uh we were gonna talk about wait should we do like a space because like we're gonna do the first thing and then we're gonna intercut the stuff we recorded an hour ago and then we're gonna do the last part right is that how we're gonna do this i don't fucking know you seem to have come up with an elaborate plan for this episode well like that's just it's just based on what we've done before because people like consistency i i know how to um how to snip things out yeah, I don't know what to do, whatever you want.